Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast, where I get to dig into delicious conversations with global leaders, and we get to soak up their wisdom and perspective on life and leadership and why there are not more female CEOs. I am so thrilled today to be joined by Jacqueline Chow. Hi, Jack. How are you? Well, thank you for having me, Melissa. Absolute pleasure. Let me share with the audience your brief bio and then we'll get into our conversation. So Jacqueline Chow is a non-executive director of Borrell, Charter Hall, Coles Group and NIB Holdings. She's over 20 years operational experience running large blue chip multinationals across Asia Pacific, the US and Latin America. She's a graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors, member of Chief Executive Women and has an MBA in International Business Strategy and Finance from the Kellogg School of Management, Northwestern in the US. Jack, all of that, amazing. Who are you as a human being? Mm. Thanks for giving me a notice on that question. That's a great one. My pleasure. I'm a pretty intense human being and there's a lot to that. That's certainly what you see and it manifests um, when you interact with me. But I am that way for myself and all aspects of my life and I I think the reason is I'm just so deeply interested in whatever it might be at, at the moment. And um, I tend to go deep, more deep than broad. Mm. And I'd love to just explore and understand. You know, I'm the sort of person that if I'm interested in a topic, I'll read five books consecutively on that same topic. So um, intense to, because I'm very curious. And then when I draw it out, I do that often with relationships then um, close friends or people I've met, I'm deeply curious about them, how they think, where they come from, and then love to just draw it out. And drawing it out is then I just get very excited about, okay, the rest of the world needs to know about this or enjoy this or experience this. So that is a little bit of the germ of um, how I serve others as well, whether it's individually or organisationally. Um, when I discover something that I'm just interested in, so it's pretty comes from a pretty selfish place, then I've got this equally passionate enthusiasm to spread that um, for everyone else's fulfillment or joy. So there's something in that. Great first question, by the way. And absolutely fantastic. And I remember, so you and I have got the pleasure of working uh, as peers, mentoring um, some wonderful executives. And we only physically met ourselves just about three or four months ago. But from that very first interaction, like I got that beautiful, like deep curiosity about, you know, about, you know, the things that are sort of occupying your passions at the time, but broadly about people. And, um, you know, I know I felt an instant connection when we had that chance to kind of sit down and chat. So thrilled to have you here. Let's get into your incredible career. And, you know, I know that you, you know, you've been with Fonterra and Arnott's and um, Kellogg. So lots of really senior roles. Just tell us a little bit about you and your career. I'm one of those very boring people who always lives to a plan. Mm. Um, I love when I listen to other people's interviews or podcasts or just, you know, in those moments when I meet someone and that poor victim has to come under the Spanish Inquisition or the Chinese Inquisition. And um, and they tell me, oh, no, 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 I just, it was just serendipity, you know. Well, most people live like that, but I'm very boring, have a plan. 
um, and I don't think leave things to chance. Of course, this bite me for another conversation. The best things that have happened to me in my life were not in my plan. Mm. Uh, but I did start out, um, I started out at the time, way back in the vintage years of the 1990s um, in IT. That was all the rage. Of course, it is again now. Yes. But it was a very strong sector at the time that was flourishing and growing. I think the World Wide Web was a new discovery at the time. So I took an IT degree and went straight into Anderson Consulting then, which is now Accenture, because they had an uh, exceptional program for undergrads. Um, of course, I didn't want to be in IT because I always wanted to lead a leader business. That was mm. sort of my ambition. Um, and uh, so I wanted to join the strategy practice of and and use my technical skills. Um, they obviously, given technology is their sweet spot, put me into the tech business. They also had a change management business at the time. Um, so I remember I always have a plan. I furiously focused on trying to get myself into the strategy practice, which took me 90 days uh, after I joined. Wow. <laughs> And the only reason why I pause and talk about that part is because um, I was continuing to serve one consumer goods company after another as a consultant, and that is how I became so focused on that sector, but also feeds my interest to stay uh, focused on one specialisation. So it was a sector I knew well and I really loved and enjoyed. Um, it was very common practice for those who wanted to run businesses um, and started in consulting to then pivot into industry and lead businesses and usually through the strategy arm of the client side, the industry side, which is exactly what I did. So I pivoted into industry, joined the finance team, which usually is the team that houses strategy. Mm. And then thereafter, that's where my career progressed. I ran um, larger and larger portfolios progressively as I had more experience and accumulated more skills of branded, consumer branded portfolios. Mm. Um, and then as the portfolios got bigger, so did the regional remits. It started only in Australia, Australia, New Zealand, Asia Pacific. And then my last executive role was the company you cited, Frontera, the dairy company, um, which is the largest, which is incredible. New Zealand always punches above their weight mm. with their export businesses, um, whether it's in sport or wine, um, but it also in dairy. So for such a small country, it's actually the largest dairy processor in the world. And so um, I was really honoured to be able to serve that company um, and, and as their chief operating officer. So I had my team across 80 different countries in the world um, and it was a great last executive role mm. before I pivoted into non-exec uh, career. Also, that was on the plan. Okay, so I love, I mean, this is a, that is one of the more intentional kind of plans and I, you and I had a chat about that and we'll dig into it. But I wanted to ask a question for you about your exec roles firstly. I, um, I was listening to Andy Penn speak at a breakfast yesterday and he talked about a lot of people will ask career advice um, along the way. And he always said that his advice to people was um, when you're looking at taking an opportunity and let's say you're lucky enough to have two or three to consider in front of you, his advice was look for the opportunity to take on the project or the opportunity that is closest to the company's core priorities and strategies rather than take the opportunity that's necessarily going to give you on paper what might seem like the, the bigger role or you know the more exciting role. What's your perspective on that? 
Um, I definitely buy into his um, advice based on the context you just described in that small moment. The hesitation in my voice is it depends on the individual and what their pursuit is. If they've got other objectives and just being on a team. You know, I remember um, Cheryl Sandberg um, of Lean In Phenomenon and Facebook. She always wanted to work on growth businesses. And um, I remember Zuckerberg told her, you just because obviously Facebook was tiny when she joined and unknown. Uh, and he said, you just get on the rocket ship and don't be fussy about which seat you want to be on. Just get on and hang on for the ride. And that served her well. So I think my only addendum to Andy's very good advice is we all have very different motivations uh, and intentions. And so um, sometimes you might need to think about, is it just being in an environment that you want to be in? Mm. If there's a particular culture that's really important for you, I think there are other reasons why you might choose beyond just matching the core priorities. Mm. And I think I got the sense that where he was coming from a little bit with that was around um, if you're working on the things that are closest to the company's core strategy, you're potentially likely to be more visible. Yes, for sure, for sure. I mean, I've certainly, um, I would be hypocritical if I didn't acknowledge I did exactly that myself. So Andy's good advice, I certainly did that because I did have it as you have a um, uh, um tapped I did have a particular plan with a particular focus and I followed exactly his advice I agree I just do admire uh, and I want to say this as an and not an or mm. I do admire people who have broad-minded courageous and done sideways moved and accumulated richer broad experience not with a clear uh focus on those priorities and that priority matching concept mm. um had been better for it having that broader perspective any challenging moments while we stay with the executive career before the transition phase? Like what do you call out? Were there any particular challenging moments that come to mind when you think about your exec career? Uh, definitely the one we just touched on. There were definitely moments where I could have taken sideways moves, gone to different sectors altogether. Um, those opportunities came my way. But I was just so keen to run entire businesses end to end. And I'm glad I stuck to that plan and focus, but there comes, you know, every choice we make, there's pros and cons. So definitely there were disadvantages of staying on this linear path that I did. Um, but there were definitely things, as I said, uh, that didn't go to plan, which started with a challenge or a problem, uh, but then blossomed into the best and most fulfilling life experiences for me because it was outside of my plan. So definitely so what, one thing. What came up that wasn't on the plan? And you talked about, you know, the when you and I spoke beforehand, you talked about the kind of magic ingredients about building the richest experiences. I'd love to hear your thoughts on something that didn't go to plan that was wonderful and what the ingredients are of those rich experiences. Well, the first one, and I attribute actually these moments to um, being sponsored by the very best bosses I've ever had. There were three that came to mind. Um, the first one, when I first pivoted into industry from consulting, from um, Anderson Consulting Accenture, um, the well-trodden path is that you, you, you work up your way up the strategy practice and then you become the head of a business unit or a general manager. And the managing director at the time said, no, 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 you're working for a consumer goods business. You need to 
be in marketing or sales. That was not what I wanted to do. I didn't want to work in a function, like Annie Penn's advice, be at the core priorities, be in the core business. What I didn't know, I had a false assumption. What I didn't know is, of course, you need to be at the heart of where the economic value is being generated and at the coalface of it, which is with the customers. So I naively had a lot of false assumptions. He sponsored me, took me under his win, didn't know what I was doing, had zero marketing experience. So I was very nervous. I would not, without his sponsorship, have made that choice. Yeah. And uh, did earn my way up uh, through to more senior ranks. And he, and he through him, the organisation I was serving, which was Kellogg Company at the time, um, sponsored my full-time MBA, which was very generous mm. um, in the US for two years at a great school, a uh, business school. So, um, you know, that was a great situation where it didn't go to plan. I was really nervous about this. Um, and thank goodness that he did that and sponsored me. And um, the second quick one I'll, I'll share with you is um, I feel pregnant with my one and only child that I have, James. Um, I always wanted to be a mum. But I didn't think when I was just about to join a new company, falling pregnant yeah. on a brand new first day in the job was the plan, not not mine. <laughs> uh, and and it was not um, an easy conversation to have with my new boss who I hadn't built a relationship with that I had fallen pregnant. On day one, I was already in my end of my first trimester. Yeah. Uh, so that didn't go to plan. Uh, but gosh, again, I had a fantastic sponsor and soon after I returned back to work, I actually got a promotion to run the Arnott's Biscuit business. So um, uh, that was a, for my first billion-dollar business to have ever run, beautiful brands, um, iconic household name in Australia. So, you know, it just things work out, um, not always to plan. No, absolutely. Can I ask you about confidence? Because we had an interesting conversation about it. And and I know, I think what you shared with me is you are perceived as very confident. Confidence has played a really interesting role in my life. I've thought a lot about it because I go deep on topics. Mm. And it's something that I don't feel I have an abundance of. Um. I definitely feel like I have my share of insecurities, maybe more than my fair share. But I've noticed over my career, peer managers or just colleagues, peer colleagues, have very often approached me to mentor a direct report who has no confidence. Mm. And the reason why they ask me is they perceive me having it in abundance. And I've come to the conclusion now that I'm older and don't worry about the things that I used to worry about in my youth, that I think I just speak at a very high decibel and I'm very extroverted and uh, maybe because of my intense personality, I come across, I have the having the character traits of a confident person, but I'm just bossy and loud. Um, yeah. No, I definitely, I definitely worry about all sorts of silly things and, yeah, it's a funny situation, confidence. Yeah. There's a lot more to the perception than the reality, I think. Yeah. Are there points in your career where you felt more insecure than others? Definitely. I definitely think no matter, and uh, I think we all know the theory, but it's hard to fulfil the role of the the people around you, particularly the person you report to, plays a really big role in how much you have 
how psychologically safe you feel, how much you feel like you can bring of your whole self. And if that person doesn't give you that precondition that you can just be yourself, um, definitely that's been the moments I probably would mark as when I have not had my confidence. And I think at the worst, there was one particular boss who I worked for where um, it took me 18 months to recover. I actually had to leave the situation. I left, as we know, the adage, you join an organisation, you leave the individual. I um, I left and 18 months to recover, to not wake up and cry every morning. Wow. I was, I was talking to a group the other day in Sydney and I was talking about unlocking the potential of, um, you know, incredible female talent in your business. And I was actually talking about statistics, um, trying to think where they were from at the time. I won't bore the audience while I try and work them out, but it talked about um, attrition statistics and the fact that the number or the top three reasons are, I mean, your manager, respect, and just broadly speaking, the quality of management in an organisation. So above flexibility, above money. Mm. It's so interesting to me. Did you try, because there are a lot of people in this situation what did you try before you got to the point of saying, actually, you know what, I've best for me to move on? Did you try and tackle it? I definitely did. I tried to talk to him. Um, I told him how he made me feel. I talked to colleagues who who shared the same uh, feeling, but they definitely noticed that there was a bit more of a poignant effort of him towards me. I put it down to just a lack of chemistry. It just wasn't working. Because um, I had been working for this organisation for some time before he joined and loved it, yes. absolutely loved it. So um, it was hard to unpack, though, so it's a very good question. Um, I did try to influence it through other means, the cadence of how we worked um, uh, and the way I interacted with others as well to see if maybe just within my realm of influence yes. um, we could shift things for everyone as well, but definitely selfishly for me. So, yes, I did attempt to, um, yeah, but, you know, it's it's disappointing that that was the outcome. Yeah. We all like to think that we can um, shift the system, but it's, it's not always easy. And I love the reflection, Jack, there when you just shared that you put it down to a lack of chemistry between the two of you because a lot of people personalise it and think there's something wrong with them and all that sort of stuff. In reality, it doesn't always work. Uh, I definitely went there at the beginning, of course, too. And you draw on all. I mean, all of us have through life experience um, all of your resilience tools and your toolkit, your adaptability, uh, tips and tricks. Um, but after trying all of those and seeking advice, you know, I didn't try. I wasn't alone. I had great friends and confidants to talk to. Um, it felt it felt silly to to remain in that situation. Yeah. So, Jack, transition then to non-executive roles. Talk about that because there's so many people in our audience who, you know, have started to make that move or certainly considering it as part of their career path, however planned that may be. Um, how did that happen for you? I, it was part of the plan. Yeah. Uh, and the reason why is I missed um, the intellectual stimulation and endeavour of having portfolio life, which is where I started in consulting, where you have multiple, you're serving multiple clients. And I I realised I was becoming quite adept at Fonterra of serving one set of stakeholders, one set of shareholders, investors, um, and I guess honing the art of 
uh, serving those stakeholders, but not necessarily in um, satiating my desire to grow and learn mm. about business and, and more things. So I had actually um, shared when I joined that organisation with the chairman and my CEO that that was my intention. I said, one day when I do leave, I'm going to do the job you need me to do. But when I do leave, it won't be to another company. It's going to be to a completely different career. Mm. And um, I shared that point because I'm glad often I find people are not transparent, not because of lack of integrity. They maybe don't think to share um, their plans or in their intentions. And I'm so glad I did because they both supported me um, having uh, executive director roles. We had a lot of JVs around the world at Fonterra. So I had my training wheels on for being a board director and it was part of my job remit. So everyone's mm -hmm. happy, uh, uh, but they would not have otherwise given me those additional parts to my role if I had not shared that intention. And, of course, but the integrity point is when I did finally leave, um, they knew that was always, it was a consistent story for me. So um, I added my first independent non-executive director role that was really adjacent to my consumer goods uh, career um, while I was at Fonterra. So I had an independent role with Fisher and Paykel, mm. um, of course, in New Zealand, uh, another New Zealand uh, global icon. And, uh, and then eventually, as I left my executive life, then um, I started to build curate my portfolio I was really um, keen to shift I uh, give it my saturation I'd read the five books on consumer goods by then yes. I really want to do uh, broaden the sector experience so I'd really focused on having um, anything not consumer goods as I built my portfolio yeah. so I did that and added one per year let me take a brief pause from listening to the podcast for a minute just to check in and see if the conversation's inspiring any new thoughts or any new reflections for you. I hear so often from people in our audience, largely successful and senior professional women, how much they are craving some inspiration into their lives. I would just love to share with you, if you're looking for some, then come and sign up for our Sunday Inspiration email series. You can find a link in the show notes at the end of the show. Now let's get back to the podcast. I'm going to take us off track for a minute because I'm curious now. What are you deeply curious about right now? Uh, China. Okay. Um, I've got two books going at the moment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One, uh, called On China by Henry Kissinger, who just passed away, of course, only months ago. Uh, that's a dense read, uh, but I'm, I'm cracking it, I'm giving it a crack. Well done. Um, another one uh, who's an, acti uh, an activist, a dissident, so it's another nonfiction. Mm -hmm. um, a gentleman who's completely blind, he's a lawyer, came from a really poor rural um, village in China and... Uh, his incredible family who were able to find a way to educate him when they really had no money to eat uh, and how he drew the attention of, at the time, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton as uh, Secretary of State and, uh, and CNN, all the way from China and able to get, um, I think, Christian Bale, the actor as well, to help him um, on his um, pursuit to get uh, the Chinese government at the time to to consider the, the vulnerable, mm. so in case the disabled and and on all those who uh, didn't have a voice. So uh, yeah, there are two books that I'm reading at the moment because uh, one thing I have been thinking about in 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 service is how can I draw 
Australian and Chinese cultures and understanding more deeply mm -hmm. is something I'm sort of been thinking about a lot. But it is so geopolitically fraught. Um, I don't know if it would be career enhancing or career a career disaster, but certainly it's very uncomfortable for us. Uh, and it's again topical this past couple of weeks. Absolutely. No, um, Penny Wong's got her hands full delicately managing all of that. So I'm trying to read it and trying to answer that question for myself. Mm. How can we have the two cultures and countries come to um, less dissonance and a more comfortable place where we can get the best of each other? That's a very hairy question, but that's the one that's on my mind. Thank you for asking. I wanted to ask that because I think one of the things that I think the audience would love to know, you know, is where do you draw sources of inspiration from? You know, you sit across you you sit across such a wide variety of industries now in terms of the boards that you support. How do you stay? How do you stay across? Um, you know, broadly, what's going on? Where do you turn for your inspiration? Um, I am an avid uh, economist reader, so I do read that every day, actually. Um, it's a weekly newspaper for those who read it and know, uh, but it touches every topic, every continent, mm. culture and the arts, science and technology, business, tech, um, everything. So I feel like at least at a glance per week, I get I'm skimming all things and then if I've got an intense interest I can dive into so that one keeps me abreast of everything yeah. a week I like to listen to BBC World News Service as well um, I do occasionally every a few times a, a month listen to Al Jazeera I love hearing a different perspective because it is vastly different I have a um, a driver who I use sometimes where I've uh, got to travel a few hours at a time and then I can work in the car and he's of Pakistani descent, and I love talking to him because everything I read from Western press is nothing like his stance. Yes. So we all live every day in a parallel universe mm. of completely different perspectives. Mm. Um, I've never been a history buff other than just an avid reader of history, but I never studied history. And as, as we all know, the way the historians wrote the account is through their eyes, through their lens. Mm. But we could have two completely different interpretations of the same experience or situation, can't we? Yeah, that's incredible. Jack, I want to move to mentoring um, and the work that we do mentoring. And, you know, I think a conversation you and I started about often when we start working with people, the first issue or the reasons, you know, that they turn up to work with us from a mentoring perspective is usually the easy one to fix. And there's usually other things kind of going on on the surface. Let's talk about that. And I think there was one you were going to share, a personal one that you were going to share about that as well. I, uh, I've always found that no matter the brief, so the brief might come from the client or the client's manager. Mm. Um, they said we just, it's almost a coaching, not a mentoring brief, isn't yeah. it? It's yeah. like, help me get more media savvy, which I am not adept at helping someone to do that. But, okay, that's the brief. I would recommend other people there or help me be more succinct or help me. And every time that brief comes up, then we try, I because I'm trying to understand the rationale of why we are in this situation, as we unpack, always, 100% of the time, the mentoring opportunity becomes a second, third, fourth order effect all the time. 
you have that experience too, Melissa. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. When you ask the why, 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 it is something rooted in, you know, often and what's happened to me in my life, some false assumption that I've got to completely break. I need the intervention of someone's broader perspective and a spin on it. So um, that for me is, um, that for me is the, always the experience. I'm going to say to you, just drawing back to the early conversation we had about where I lost my confidence, mm. 18 months to recover. One of the things that I did do is I sought a mentor. Yeah. And um, I remember when I was the lowest point uh, in terms of zero confidence, and uh, she kept saying to me, you can't change this manager. She goes, but what can we do? What can you do to shift? And I remember I was so young at the time when it happened, I never fully appreciated and understood that uh, concept of you can't change other people. Mm. It's not just as we'd like to try as a mum. Yeah. Uh, uh, but what is it that I can do that's in my control and what do I need to shift? Because, of course, we all live in a, an ecosystem. We're all connected. There is definitely things that I'm doing, I'm thinking. Yes, that is emitting something and what can I shift? It took me decades to fully understand that. So as a mentee, um, that's served me well now as a mentor. Mm, that's a fantastic example. Can I ask you about recruiting for CEOs? You know, it's a very, very volatile world and you know I'm going to ask about um, female CEOs, but can we just start broadly with what do you consider when you're looking for a CEO? Definitely the leadership traits. Um, you know, I think, you know, I, I, in the last, currently now, and as well as the last couple of years, um, the boards I'm and the companies I'm serving, we've been actively in CEO succession. All boards should be in CEO succession planning all the time, of course, yeah. but it's been at the kind of the pointy end of the wedge. And um, whilst we will take the consideration and time on the technical skills and experience, accumulated sector, um, business cycle. That for me is 20 to 30% of the role requirement. I think the vast majority, 70, 80% has got to be those leadership traits, the clarity, the character, the conviction and the adaptability no matter what circumstance. How do you assess that from, you know, from a board's perspective, how do you assess that? And I guess for any leader looking and choosing leaders, you know, there's a lot of people who are very good at managing up um, and very focused on that versus the quality and skills of them leading other people. How do you truly assess that? You never really know, of course, but we do a lot of cross-checking. Um each of us will know someone who knows someone six degrees of separation that we can then tap to see if we're getting, we're coalescing what we experience in the interviews and the interactions is jiving. And that's always a sign, isn't it, from an integrity point of view or someone who just knows how to gloss over if there are inconsistencies. So if we're getting the same thematics, I think that's helpful and reaffirming. Uh, the other thing is case study examples and not those tricky, I'm not talking about trying to trip, triple up, but just to see in an ill-prepared moment whether they're given the anecdotes, the tone, how they're thinking about it. I think that also is a great way to try and triangulate. Are there things that are kind of that rule someone out in your opinion? For sure there's some threshold baseline. I mean, just 
the integrity of character, the people, um, first, of course, their integrity, their ethics, mm -hmm. their character, their worthiness in that regard. Um, and there have been circumstances where we have found through character reference checks that has been compromised. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So that's for sure. But integrity, as we know, um, is also um, are you trustworthy? Do you say, do you do what you say you would do? Mm -hmm. um, you know, so that, that consistency is actually easy to check, uh, cross-check with others um, and their word. And I think those two, they're, they're kind of the threshold conditions. Jack, did you along the way, I mean, you had some enormous roles with the COO of Fonterra and the like, um, and a lot of GM, regional, very senior roles. Was the CEO role on your radar? I, uh, yes, it definitely was. Um, what was, and I thought about this a lot. Um, I've even thought about whether I would go back and do it now. Mm -hmm. Um, the reason I opted out when I did was because of this deep dissatisfaction that I was spending such a large proportion of my time with the stakeholder management and not on the business and on the strategy as much as I would like. Mm. Um, so at the times when the opportunity came my way, I turned them down. Um, but it hadn't been for other reasons in terms of um, it was sort of more of an intellectual reason and a fulfilment reason as opposed to other common reasons people choose not to take that opportunity. Mm. So let me ask you about that then. Um, and, and I know there's so many different things and there's so many deeply personal reasons for all of these things, but of course. Why, why don't we have more female CEOs in your opinion? Well, I think there's some research that tells us the answer to this as well, which I will draw a little bit on that, but then also add my personal experience and observation. I think that sponsorship, I, I feel really blessed that I had sponsorship, so I had the privilege to think about this. But I think if you lack the sponsorship and you lack visible role models, um, that's very difficult. It feels like a really theoretically um you know, conspired idea, not something that could really happen to you. So the credibility of the notion, I think, is one issue, perceived and real. Yes. And then on the individual prospective female CEO candidate side, I do believe that we opt out and research shows we opt out on the first rung, that first career step, mm. the first level of, you know, junior management, we opt out and that's been statistically evidenced. Um, that is where the biggest gap lies because we are now disproportionately in greater numbers coming out of university education. Absolutely. Something happens and it just falls away on that pipeline. So that's where the problem lies. So I do buy into referencing Sheryl Sandberg uh, earlier in our conversation. I do think we lean out, not lean in mm. uh, because we've already, we are judicious typically where I paint us all with the same brush. We will worry about, will I be equipped to do it? Will I have the energy and yep. the bandwidth to do it? Will I have the support mechanisms? Um, do I have the, this is the crazy one, isn't it? We will think more maybe than others. Will I, do I have the skills and experience to do this? Therefore, that feeds confidence or lack thereof. So we lean out before we even have the opportunity. So I think it's the combo, right? Yes. You don't set the role models. You don't have a sponsorship pulling you. You yourself are leaning back away from it so these two don't meet. Mm. 
Um, I love that you brought up energy because I think I shared with you earlier and I so want to ask you about it. Um, I just saw this wonderful question from one of our listeners recently thinking about their own career and asking the question around whether, you know, when I look up and I look at these roles, have I got the energy and the systems and habits to be successful? What? How do you find the energy and the systems and habits to be successful? Um, I uh, I definitely... Well, I'm going to actually throw one to you because Melissa, um, I have to tell uh, your listeners, um, asked me the great question about how I am. And I had the same uh, energy deficit conversation with you, Melissa, back at Christmas when we were having a little bit of Christmas cheer before mm-hmm. the end of the year. And uh, like any good mentor, even in the moment, uh, you became my informal mentor over the summer. Uh, because I was completely depleted. I was so burnt out by Christmas last year. So the uh, the colleague you're referencing, I asked the same question to myself. But the difference is I then uh, went through a wonderful Christmas. And then as I entered the new year, I thought I spun the same question to myself and said, what is it going to take for me to get my energy back? Um, and I realized my lack of energy is that I had not got the balance right in terms of looking after myself. So I have been busy. It's a common problem serving everyone else. And what I thought when I was talking to you, Melissa, that I had to resolve was just take things off my plate, which was definitely um, part of the solution. But um, I realized I had not gone to my GP, my various medical specialists. There were a lot of things that I hadn't been doing. Uh, and so I did all that, got onto my health, uh, which that's an easy one to fix because that's already given me instant injection of energy back. Brilliant. Uh, and uh, and then also I spent all of January um, reading, mm. uh, running, swimming, uh, sleeping more hours, and I feel like a new person already. Amazing. And are you still, you do marathons, don't you? Yeah, I've got Boston in April, so I'm in marathon training mode right at the moment. (laughs) Jack, I have to ask you this question. I haven't asked this for a long time, but, but, you know, on paper, you know, and and people listening to this conversation, um, you're exceptional. And so what what do you say when people say, I could never do what you do? Oh, I just, I'm not. (laughs) I'm so not. I just, I really believe in following what really drives you. And I loved, you know, this is a nice bookend to your first question, who am I as a human being? I'm just really curious to learn about things and people. Mm -hmm. And so I just follow my nose to do that. And then things just sort of happen along the way. I just really think, I really believe it. And as a parent now of a teen, he always says to me, Mum, would you just support me whatever I decide to do? I said, oh, please do whatever you love doing. Um, if you decide to go to uni, and that is an if, not when, please just do subjects that you would just love to learn because that's the time to do it. So I am so having lived through what I have lived now, I really believe in it. Just really follow what you love. So that's my answer. I really just do what uh, you know, follow whatever I'm really intensely curious about. And I think the beauty of these conversations is that it is breaking down some of those myths about, you know, on paper what you see when you look at people versus the difference when you just get to have a chat and it's just a very normal human being doing what you love, following your passions and um, and and with a plan, with a plan, with room for flexibility. 
lots of room for flexibility. My favourite adage is, um, and I'm I'm uh, uh, altering it somewhat from the original uh, Roman scholar who who spoke it, but you know, luck comes to those who are most prepared. I think the way he says is something about preparation matches opportunity or something more eloquent. But it is so true. I just think if you're just always prepared at the ready and it just floats past you and then you are sort of conscious to grab it, I think that's definitely the way to be flexible as you as you framed. So are there room for more? You've added a board portfolio uh, every year, built a, a wonderful thriving portfolio. Is there room for more boards in there? Uh, no, because the proxy advisors and institutional investors will absolutely emphatically say no. Okay. Uh, but there will be a time where I have served my time mm. um, and it is definitely time to renew, um, to get good, fresh eyes on each of the businesses. And so when that happens, um, I'll look for new opportunities and follow my nose again. Fantastic. I can't wait to see where that takes you when you do. So, Jack, my final question that you know I ask of everybody, and I would love to hear your thoughts. From your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership mean and do you think it needs to change? I love your brand proposition because I actually, as I thought about your brand, it's it's so so rich. There's so much to unpack there. Uh, but my brief answer, because I have thought about it a lot, is I think being brave, I've now realised, is actually a choice. Mm. I love that some people are innately courageous, for sure. Yes. My little niece is courageous. She's just born that way. I admire that. But for the rest of us, I think it's about choosing will we lean in, make an active choice, say that thing that's on our mind out loud. Mm. And I think that's fantastic that I've realised that now because you if you're not naturally born brave and I'm not, you can make those moments of choice. Um, feminine, I think, for me, clearly is reference to gender at the moment, only because factually in the world most senior roles are not held by women. Yes. But I do hope in time to answer your last question, uh, does it have to change? I hope it evolves in its meaning to maybe uh, encompass all types of maybe less prevalent leadership styles and yeah. that we embrace that. Fantastic, Jack. Thank you so much for joining our conversation. It's just been such a pleasure chatting to you today. Thanks for having me. And that was the end of another podcast conversation. So thank you so much for listening to the episode today. I often hear from leaders who felt inspired by the conversations and are ready to put themselves first. And so I wanted to take a brief moment just to share how I've helped hundreds of women just like you become crystal clear on the exact steps they should be following right now to lead an intentional and sustainable life without second guessing themselves so that they can maximize their influence and impact. I've put some details into the show notes and there's a link there where you can find out some more about our signature Elevate and Influence program. While you're there, take the time to sign up for our Sunday Inspiration email series. Have a brilliant day.